Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitra, I'm here in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined by Aaron Vay in Whitby, Ontario. Hello. And I'm joined by Jaime Lopez in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And Mark Rubin joins us again from Los Angeles, California. Hey everybody. So uh, we have some follow-up items to uh, talk about. Um, we've been talking for, I guess, you know, three or four weeks about um, uh, iOS uh, 7 versus 8 and the adoption rates. Does anybody want to chime in on that one? It's good news, man. I mean, we're finally seeing that below 40%. I think that's terrific. Um, I, I wish it were going faster, <laughs> but it's not. So uh, 3904 currently as according to mixed panel and uh do we have a uh, numbers on what apple is saying for uh no i haven't heard anything um so i'll look that up while uh, we're talking here but um I, I like to see both numbers um the last numbers that they have uh as updated on november 10th same ios 7 at 70 percent, 8 at 56 and hmm. the rest at five so we're still seeing the uh same pattern between the two of them, which is which is great. A little consistency is really nice to have. Um, given that I just launched an app or put an app in app review this week, that uh, I ended up having to spend quite a bit of time getting iOS seven support uh, working properly for. Um, you mean iOS eight? No, iOS seven. 8? Like it, I built it primarily testing uh, working with iOS eight, but then um, in the week leading up to uh. today. Right. Uh, looked at it on iOS 7 just to confirm everything was fine, and it was not. So <laughs> I had to go back, um, and I'm like, I, I've been my my life the last week has been in iOS 7 land, um, and it's really really sucks there. What were some of the issues you were seeing um, that weren't backward compatible? Yeah, uh, one of the big things was um, uh, the table row heights, uh, which which work a mm. lot nicer for dynamic table heights in iOS 8. 
uh, with that mm-hmm. estimated uh, height for table row cell thing, um, which yep. works really well. But on iOS 7, you have to calculate it manually like some kind of filthy animal. So, <laughs> yeah. And it took me ages. It took me like two hours to figure out what the hell was going on here because I'm so spoiled by iOS 8 now that I've forgotten that you didn't get all that great functionality uh, until then. So uh, that was one. And there were um, a lot of issues with uh, image views. Um, the way that, um, you know, content mode on a UI image view mm-hmm. works, like you say, uh, aspect mm-hmm. fill, and it uh, fills the image view um, in an, an apparently sane way. It ha- happens differently in iOS 7. So uh, toggling between the two OSs, I was seeing it behave differently, and I could not figure out why. Um, I kind of had to give up on that one. My question was, was uh, is this an app that, that you feel needs to support iOS 7, or is it something that there's a lot of adoption out there already, or or, or did you not think about just drawing a line in the sand and saying that from now on we're supporting iOS 8 and let the other people get the older version? So um, my client felt that iOS 7 had to be supported. Uh, at the time that we started the project, it was, you know, as you know, because we were talking about it then, um, more more along lines of just a bit more using iOS 7 at the time. And we knew that uh, a lot of the users of the app would most certainly not have updated. Um, and even even today at 40%, I don't think is very persuasive um, to, mm-hmm. to not support it. Uh, when Well, at least at the outset anyway, it looked like it wouldn't be that difficult to support both. Uh, mm-hmm. The last week, you know, altered my opinion a little bit. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> overall, it wasn't that bad. Yeah, I, I agree. I wouldn't want to stop supporting iOS seven until iOS eight adoption is at least you know eighty five to ninety percent. Definitely. Right, right. Now, having said that, like it, I'm I'm starting a new app uh, for myself, really not not for a client, and not meant for broad distribution, and and that one is going to be iOS eight only, and and Yosemite only. On it. So the, a question I have, though, is I, I know that when I was working with Xcode 5, um, there was no way to recognize uh, that the system was running on iOS 7. Is is there something in Xcode 6 now that recognizes uh, that you can put in there to test whether or not you're uh, running on iOS 7 or iOS 8 and behave appropriately? Or Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah, there's a couple of ways to do it, um, and that's not in Xcode. That's just in the, um, the SDK. I mean, there was an enum in iOS 7. You could say if you're running 6.1 or, or earlier, you do this, if, and then, you know, appropriately code for 7. But I wasn't able to use that when I was still writing with Xcode 5 a couple of months ago. Uh, you must be I talking about the availability. I, sort of, I think so. I, I don't remember the, the call right off the top of my head, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think the, the safest way, and, and I think it's actually the recommended way, is anytime you want to use something that's iOS 8 only, you, you just... Uh, Check response to to selector for that method, and and if it if it fails, then then fall back to the old one. Yeah, I was using a different technique. Yeah. It was um, something to do with um, on UI device. I think I don't have it at hand right now, but uh, there's a UI device that that responds with the OS version number, and you can look for it starting with a seven or an eight. <laughs> That's what I ended up doing in, in the in the in the build I was using before. But I, I'm just I have the code here. I'm just gonna look it up. You can talk amongst yourselves. Yeah, in UI device, there's a system version property that mm-hmm, you can mm-hmm. pick up. And so, um, yeah, system version starts with 7, and then um, I can run the code. Um, it turned out I didn't have to do that very often, but um, it did come in handy. Mm-hmm. No, I, like I said, I, there was a there was a recommended method back in when in this in the transition to 7 that Apple recommended that uh, 
I was using quite a lot, and then it, but it wasn't available to me, like I said, when I was writing an Xcode 5 to test for 7. The enum wasn't there. So uh, another follow-up item we have uh, has to do with review times. I found that, uh, are you guys finding review times any better in, in some of your uh, submissions? I'm going to let you know in a couple days. I just submitted okay, well, today. I, like I said, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure if you were with us at this point, but um, I had put through an app, um, and then I realized that there was a, a small, minor detail. I probably could have gone without it, but uh, I had the time, so I decided to to uh, reject the the build, and then I resubmitted. And I thought, you know, I'd go back into the seven day, you know, cycle cycle waiting. Much to my surprise, Apple reviewed it and, and released it within two days which is phenomenal these days in terms of turnaround time. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing them fluctuate. I had one that w- that was also turnaround within two days, and then the next one took a week. So I'm, I, don't, I don't know if there's a pattern there or not. Yeah, you guys are – are you familiar with the App Review Times website? The um, Okay. It uses data from Twitter, so people, um, developers, uh, post their, to the Twitter using a hashtag um, depending on what um, – platform they're they're running for it's either ios review time or mac review time and you, they just put in their their time in days and if you go to the site right now at mm-hmm. appreviewtimes.com you can see that ios app store's average review time is six days right now and mm-hmm. the mac app store is eight yeah but that doesn't necessarily talk about updates versus uh versus um new apps uh new su- new submissions and i find that new submit new submissions always take longer than, mm-hmm. than updates mm-hmm. By the way, I found that that you know I was talking about it's NS Foundation version number that was in the um, in the transition guide from Apple back when uh, iOS seven first came out, and that's what I was using to test for uh, what OS people were running. Real time follow up. <laughs> there you go. Another follow up item has to do with uh, there's been some debate about this uh, the use of Sapphire as a as a type of glass, I guess for um, for lack of a better word. Uh, in devices, and I think people were thinking that the new iPhone 6 and 6 Plus and maybe even a new iPad would be using it, and I think that uh, that uh, it didn't get used, and in fact, I thought Apple did something like canceled the order and got a, a supplier uh, spinning out of control into bankruptcy, and I think, Jaime, you brought this one to the table today, um, talking about um, a follow-up to our article last week about, uh, what was it called? Um Best alternative to a negotiated agreement. Yeah, so the, the, the basic gist of the story here, and, and we'll have the link in the show notes, is the daring fireball um, uh, John Gruber fame talking, you know, giving his his comments. And I'll, I'll cut to that really quickly here. Um, but GT Advanced Technologies did not uh, meet all of their um, all of their milestones with Apple. And Apple said, oh, sorry, we're we're pulling out and that was that was really devastating to their business right so that to to gt advance they uh filed for bankruptcy and now everything's going kind of back and forth in court and really the gist of this article is um as originally reported by giga ohm is well gt advanced technology is really trying to paint apple in this really bad light and being sort of a bully um but i'll, I'll just quote the really short daring fireball um three three lines here so uh, GT Advanced take seems to be one. Apple doesn't negotiate terms. Two, Apple's terms were onerous. Three, we accepted Apple's terms, and that's really sort of the end of the story there, right? So we talked about the best alternative to negotiate agreement, and in the case of GT Advanced Technologies, they really didn't have one. I mean, they 
their only alternative was to not get into business with Apple. And since mm-hmm. Apple is in a position now of huge, enormous strength in, in the supplier space, I can understand why uh, that company would have said, okay, well, there's all these dollar signs flashing in our eyes. Let's, let's go ahead and take the risk. It's like, well, you knew what you were signing up for. If you knew that Apple wasn't willing to come to the negotiating table and they wanted everything on, you know, on their terms, um, you don't have to accept the terms. Nobody's holding a gun to your head. As I understand it, though, it was actually a little bit worse than that. Uh, the the company, and this is just what I've read. I don't I don't know any any uh, you know inner secrets or anything. But as I understand it, the the company was in bad shape already, and Apple came to them and said, "We'll lend you a pretty enormous amount of money to develop this technology that we want to use." So these guys took Apple's money, spent it all on the development, and then for whatever reason, whether they couldn't uh, produce technically or, or whatever, Apple decided not to go with them. And part of the contract was that, that Apple could demand repayment on the loan immediately if they chose not to use the technology, which is exactly what they did. So now this company had spent all the money that they had been loaned on developing the technology and had to pay that money back to Apple. And that's what drove them into bankruptcy. So they t- they did take pretty bad turns, but... It, well, they, they took the terms. This is really Apple's method in terms of dealing with suppliers, right? Like, it's it's rare for them to have suppliers in North America, but we hear stories about how Apple's in Asia, in the supply chain there, where most of the stuff gets made anyway. Um, and they've been known to buy and or... Uh, uh, what's the word? <laughs> Subsidize uh, manufacturing facilities in Asia, and you know because they have this enormous cash hoard, they have the ability to go into a potential supplier and say, "Look, um, you know we need X number of RAM chips, for example." And they're like, "There's just no way we can build that many. We just don't have the capacity." And Apple says, "Okay, we'll we'll, we'll help you build a factory to increase your capacity." Um, so Apple goes in and says, "Look, we're going to we're going to help you give give us what we need, basically." And um, having done it on American soil, and as it were, this time by you know very well publicized uh, deal of buying this uh, facility in uh, Arizona, I believe, and and giving them the ability to put together this giant production floor where they can produce these sapphire bulls in these growth vats, if you will. The problem turning out to be that they were unable to produce them in the size and the quantity that Apple needed. And, you know, this is a, a real problem. Like, Apple has to ship tens of millions of phones with these Sapphire screens. If GT Advance can't produce the number, then they can't do it at all. It's either tens of millions or zero. And when the iPhone 6 came out with glass screens, uh, we knew the answer. And that's exactly when this whole thing started to fall apart. So... Uh, GT Advance takes a bath. They close the Phoenix manufacturing facility, but they're not out of business. Uh, they're still uh, existing, and they're still working on techniques to improve their yields. And so I think it's possible that they're going to come back and maybe strike a new deal with Apple down the road. And, and bankruptcy does not necessarily mean the company goes away, right? Plenty of companies have come back from yeah. bankruptcy and, exactly. and succeeded. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, another uh, a follow-up article, uh, I guess, or sort of, a, I guess, a bone that we pick here regularly at uh, More Than Just Code podcast is um, the whole whether you know a developer should go Android or a developer should go iPhone first or both or either. Um, and Jaime's brought another uh, article to the table 
from uh, Marco Ormet's uh, blog about uh, Business Insider saying that people are going uh, Android first or developers are going Android first. Is that correct, I mean? Yeah, that's <laughs> that, if you read the Business Insider article or at least the headline, that's that's kind of the gist. And and Marco in his blog post really sort of tears that down from the the big headline to being, you know, oh, like developers are moving towards Android to being like, well, in one area of Europe, and if you talk to Facebook's Android evangelists, you get answers mm-hmm. that say, oh yeah, we're doing Android. It's like, oh. Okay, that's great. That that seems a whole lot less impressive than developers are moving to Android first, which would be a huge move. Yeah, yeah. It seemed to me from when I read it that that it was kind of like Facebook was putting a spin, or sorry, not Facebook, but the, these guys at Facebook were putting a, a spin on it to make it sound like you know maybe more developers should think about going to Android if that's the case, right? They but, uh, are evangelists, but, uh, after all, so you can't expect them to oh. be telling the truth. Um, That's they, true. They're, they're, I think you can accept evangelists at a company uh, spinning the truth. Let's say spinning, all right? Mm. Uh, you know, what's less forgivable, of course, and it's an ongoing problem that we see again and again and again are sites like Business Insider that gleefully publish these stories, um, essentially mm. reprinting PR pieces in this case. Um, and why? Because... The story of of developers going to Android uh, attracts links and gets people to read their sure. site, and it doesn't matter if it's true or not, um, you know. And and so what if it is even? <laughs> I mean, um, you know, let, let, why don't we talk about that? Like, let's say in some mythical side, you know, reality, there were you know dramatically more Android developers than iOS developers. That developers were going android first uh would that be a big deal would that matter to us yeah it's a good question and i think about that uh, from time to time because i mean you know as i sort of said mentioned last week and i think i mentioned in the first first podcast that we did here that uh my little friend jaime there had told me that who you call you know, little uh, develop <laughs> <laughs> the um the uh well if you stand next to me you're shorter than i am there you go um but anyway the the uh the gist of it was that uh you know developments or technologies run in 10-year cycles and when i met jaime we were at the fifth year and he was kind of sort of saying that you know uh we're we're theoretically on the downward slope so there's going to be some new technology coming out you know in in 2017 because you know it's 10 years since 2007 when the iphone came out that theoretically some other new whiz bang you know device you wore on your wrist for instance um might come out and 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 usurp the apple and the iphone and and whatever you know so i often think about that like what would i do as a developer if if um, Apple wasn't the number one game in town. Would I still continue to develop on, on iOS? Would I can still continue to develop on Mac? And I think for me personally, the answer would be yes. I would continue to work with Apple. I don't know uh, whether I would, you know, I would, I would certainly look at Android, see if it was a possibility, if Android was the next thing, right? I would look at it, see if it's if it's the way to go. But uh, but I think I would still be passionate about, about Apple. I've been working with, you know, I've been a, an Apple fan for... 20 some odd years right so what would you guys do i think i would do the same i mean i've worked with plenty of other technologies and the reason i do ios now is that i like it it's fun uh for the most mm-hmm. for the most part the tools are good maybe uh with some recent but in general you know the tools are great it's it's a it's a fun platform to work with you can you can create some pretty 
cool stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, until something comes along that is more fun and more interesting, I, I think I would probably stick with this one. That's true. I mean, even in 1996, I was still, I was, I wasn't happy that Apple was on the skids and, you know, people were, were, you know, starting to warm up the death march and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, Sun was rumored to buy it for $500 or something yeah. like that. Um, you know, even, even then I was still, uh, I would still consider myself a Mac fan at that point. What about uh, Jaime and uh, Aaron? Yeah. So I, I think I would be probably leaning towards staying in the Apple ecosystem. Um, it's been a very warm, friendly place. But um, I do keep my eye on what's going on in the Android world in particular. Um, I would recommend some podcasts with uh, basically anything with Gina Trapani, so on uh, All About Android and uh, uh, This Week in Google. Um, so if, if things really got bad and it became really difficult for me to you know, keep a roof over my head just doing stuff in the Apple ecosystem, I, you know, I'd be prepared to, to move over. But I think the, the, the great sort of quote here from, from Marco's post is like, you know, with folks going, you know, potentially saying, okay, we go in Android first because of market share or choosing iOS first because of profit share, uh, because that's not how developers choose still quoting here. Uh, most developers with the authority to choose their platform will choose whichever one they use and like best. And I think that's probably the case for, for me as well. Uh, barring any sort of like dramatic change, Aaron, do you have a thought? Always. So, um, to answer in <laughs> in kind to you guys, yeah, I I would definitely stay on Apple platforms. I've been on Apple platforms for twenty some odd years, and it's not going to change. I guess what would change is you know just as Jaime was saying, you know, if if that were to be the case, if developers started going Android first, then that would indicate that the market were Android first in that. Um, not only dramatically higher market share, um, but um, uh, much more demand for um, Android-first development. And if that were the case, then, you know, out in the market, if you're a freelancer like I am, uh, you would be hearing from clients saying, we need to have an Android app, and we need an Android app developer, not, you know, we need an iOS app, and we need an iOS developer. So... Um, if I want to, just like Jaime, if I, if I want to keep a roof over my head, then I would have to adopt that technology if I want to stay being a mobile developer. Otherwise, I would uh, look at uh, going back to web development, maybe, because maybe that's not changing. But, um, but you, you could know. always open a coffee shop, too, you know, like sell coffee and donuts and stuff like that. Well, I spend enough time in them. <laughs> and, you know, even if okay, it were so an Android-first world, it, it, would, it would really have to get to the point where it was an Android-only world before... The you know, the iOS development market just completely dried up, right? It would even that's so true. Even yeah. yeah, I mean you you've got like even today you know it's an iOS first world and there's still plenty of work for Android developers. Exactly. Well, and and I get asked all the time. I mean, you know, a lot of lot of opportunities like that come up across my desk have to do with you know. Uh, people wanting to do iOS and Android. It's, it's not like they're they're in different sentences. It's actually in the same breath that people are asking for it, you know. And that's when I usually bring up my my argument about you know the adoption rates and profitability and cost of development versus cost of downloads and stuff like that. You know, it, obviously it's still at this point in time it favors Apple, but uh, that may change. And and you know, every day or week I hear something about you know how Android's kicking a- Apple's butt. You know, so. Even my buddy Guy Kawasaki, who's like you know the Mac, original Mac evangelist, is an Android user. You know, so is he really? So, yeah, it was. Uh, I'm actually. Uh, I'm shaken. I just read a book by him. 
I know. I just read a book too by him, and I'm actually reviewing another one. And and um, and uh, yeah, at the end of it, at the end of the book, he t- the book I read was on on called Ape, and it's about uh, publishing, being self publisher, um, you know, using ebooks and all that kind of stuff. And uh, he. Um, yeah, at the end of it, he sort of says, and I, you know, do everything on Android. Fortunately, the guy who's writing his partner, writing partner, also had final edit on the um, on the book, and he said at the very end of the book that he thought Apple was better. So there you go. Um, well, any day now, BlackBerry is going to make a comeback. So that's what we really have to watch. That's true. <laughs> Aaron's seen them everywhere in Canada. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, just, just as parenthetical there, while you were talking, Tim, I was looking up on the internet. You know that thing, the internet? Um, about yeah, Ka- Guy Kawasaki using Android, and I came across an article sure. that I'm going to paste into the show, uh, into the chat here. Um, he has 11 reasons that he spoke to an entrepreneur magazine and, and gave them 11 reasons why he thinks Android's better than iOS. And um, Really? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, he can select default applications to open files. He can make Chrome his default browser. He can view apps in an alphabetical list, no matter where they are. Uh, he can install different keyboards. I guess this is out of date. Um, widgets on the uh, springboard, or whatever they call it in Android. Uh, any mm-hmm. micro USB cable can charge his phone. Mm-hmm. And it goes on. Um, you know, it's an opinion, man. It's a sad state of affairs. Sad, sad state. But then again, he was the Mac evangelist. And what did you say about that evangelist earlier? They spin anyway, in the truth. I don't mean to bash he- He's still he's still a good buddy of mine. I still like I still appreciate his opinions and whatever. He, he's your he buddy, called. eh? That's good. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, for, I've always been a fan of. Ma- I, I saw him back at the one and only MacWorld that we had here in Toronto. He spoke there and, and uh, talked about his days at Apple and showed some of the early commercials and it was kind of an interesting thing. So I've always been a fan of, of Guy Kawasaki, even when he's wrong. Um, this is a pretty old article actually because it says at the end. Until recently, there was a twelfth reason: four G LTE. So this is at least oh, a couple wow. years old. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the book I wrote is two years ago, so two years old. So, so and I, I know some. I know some people who were in touch with them. So I can probably I can probably find out if we really care, but we don't. So let's move on. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, speaking of people moving on to other platforms, there's been an issue, I guess, an ongoing issue with people moving off of iMessage. And Apple just recently released a tool. I think last week I heard about it that. Um, that this uh, people can now deregister for iMessage, and I think Jaime, you brought that one again. Yeah, so I, I've not actually tried this because I'm, you know, I'm not an Android or Windows Phone user. Um, right. But the basic idea is you go to this this web page, and we can put that in the show notes, and you you put in your phone number uh, for you know your your current iPhone, and you enter in a uh, confirmation code that they send to you to that phone, um, and it's supposed to deregister you like. Without a doubt, you know, one hundred percent guaranteed from iMessage, and this gets around the problem mm-hmm. that some people were having, and I, I think I've had some friends who had this happen as well, where um, people were sending them text messages, and they kept getting intercepted as iMessages, and of course, if you're on Android, iMessage doesn't exist for you. There was no forwarding right, system right. there, so I think this just simply pulls you off of the the list, and you know, I'm not familiar with how that works behind the scenes, but you could imagine. You know, however, that's working with the telecoms. It's like, oh, okay, well, this phone is just SMS only now, or at least right, not specifically right. tied to iMessage. Right. Well, when I read this article earlier when you posted it, um, it yeah, that was the gist I, I got was that it's been happening for years for people apparently that that moved off of off of Apple onto other systems, but you know, serves them right. 
to be honest with you. <laughs> it's like, uh, you knew what you were getting in for. <laughs> Nobody told you to leave. It's, I thought you said it was a better system. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I understand it's probably hasn't been on the highest list of priorities for, for Apple to add a tool yeah. that makes it easier to leave their ecosystem. But it seems kind of mind-blowing that you would have to do this. It's as if you're, you know, you add your email address into the mail app and then suddenly you can't get emails because you switched over to Android and you're using a, a Gmail account now. Like it's, it's mind blowing that it, it could not possibly have been that hard for a company of Apple's resources to, to take care of this and just make the experience right. You know, don't, don't make it lock in by happenstance. We have people be locked in because they love the experience. Well, I think that's what's happening, you know, like it's, it's a, it's a peculiar symptom of our current lifestyles in technology now, right? Like you compare it to email, Jaime, and it's funny because there are no new open standards anymore. They're all proprietary nowadays, right? Everything's either a website or uh, a proprietary messaging system. And it's, it's, there's no open standards. So like, it's not like SMTP or, or IMAP. Uh, where you can just expect a technology layer to work anywhere anymore. And I don't know, like I can see, I can see exactly why this happened. Um, and, you know, I can understand why Apple wouldn't have spent any time, you know, working on making that uh, a better experience. Uh, and maybe I can even imagine them not even being aware of it mm -hmm. for a long time. Um, but I think it's really interesting how this is like, um, you know, just a, a sign of the times really that we're, we're all using technology that's proprietary and in, in commercial hands nowadays, which is kind of scary. <laughs> it's interesting, too, because we've, we've had, um, um, you know, I do a lot of push notifications, and I run a push notification server myself. And, um, and I do know that when, like, for instance, when somebody uninstalls your application, Apple marks that, that UUID as no longer being valid and then, and then just stops receiving messages for it. In fact, it sends a message back to my server and then I'm, I'm supposed to mark it and the software marks it as, as being a, not a valid address anymore. And I just wonder, like, if, they, if they're able to do that and detect when, I guess when you just turn off your iPhone and you turn on your Android, there's no way to sort of tell Apple's server that you're no longer there, right? Um, you kind of think you kind of think that uh, I, I guess it's, it sort of sends it out to the ether and then doesn't worry about whether it's been received or not. Is that because I, I always thought that iMessage had that sort of facility to check and see that, that the message actually had been received by a device, right? Because they can mark things as delivered or read or whatever, right? Assuming you have the so. read receipts turned on, yeah. You know what this reminds me of actually is um, you know uh, in iTunes in the um, iTunes Store. You authorize computers to uh, use your purchases. Sure, yeah. Mm -hmm. And you know this yep. happens probably to all of us that uh, we get a new Mac and forget to deauthorize the old Mac, yeah. And you start collecting a collection of computers you don't own anymore that are still authorized, um, and then you can't add any more computers to that. And it was only fairly yeah, recently. Yeah, I think there's a limit of five. Yeah, five. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. And it's only recently that Apple has introduced a, a feature in iTunes to deauthorize all computers. So if yeah. you do get into that, that sticky wicket, then you can hit this menu command and then basically start over. That deauthorized thing has been in there for a while because I've had customers complaining about this for years, but I, and I knew about that. And I'm, I, I know what you mean. I'm always flipping my computers, and when I do that, I always forget to turn off you know, iTunes and all that kind of stuff before, before I send them out into the wild. Yeah, I'm just saying you know? this is very but, similar, and so you know, it's just like Apple to kind of forget about it. But you know 
and and so here here let me let me just rant for a minute here because I I literally had to well I, I just I just had to update my my i my iPad Mini to iOS eight um, yesterday because I was finding like I still ha- I was still using iCloud for syncing not iCloud Drive right and I have my two phones and I have one Mac on Yosemite and I have other machines that are still on on um, Mavericks and the Mavericks machines I was putting items on my calendar and it just wasn't syncing. It, with iCloud anymore, and and so like resistance is futile. It's the it seems to be the Borg uh, corporate policy that, you know, you might as well move along with the rest of it. So all of a sudden, you know, I had to give up on on iCloud and move over to iCloud Drive, in order to get my syncing to work again. You know, so it's it's kind of like again we've been mentioning about some of the sort of snafus that people have been suffering. You know, at the at the hands of Apple. I hate to say it. Um, that you know we're we're all having to kind of do this kind of stuff. We have to you know move on or you know change things or reboot systems and stuff, which we never used to have to do. You know, a couple of years ago when things would work better. Like Mark, you were saying earlier today, we we're having some issues with with Yosemite and Xcode, and I've been having issues with Yosemite and Xcode. And some of the people that I chat with online were telling me that they were having um, you know view items disappear in, in uh, storyboards when they added a new view and. The only way to get it to come back was to throw constraints on it, things like that, mm-hmm. like all these sort of weird workarounds everybody's having to do with Xcode 6.1 and, and Yosemite, right? Yeah, I've been having Just a lot of problems of... with Xcode 6, yeah. uh, in particular with storyboards. I mean, as, as you know, I've always been a huge fan of Interface Builder and, and storyboards, and, yeah. and I've historically found it to be an enormous productivity boost for me. Uh, but in this, in this recent version, the performance is just so bad that it's painful to use. I mean, the, it, it's getting to the point where I, I try to click on something and it, it takes a few seconds for it to respond. Uh, and, you know, forget about trying to zoom in or out or pan in the storyboard. Uh, just really disappointed so far. Erin, you were saying you're having some trouble with um, the new tools as well? or Yeah, not as badly as what Mark had been talking about earlier, but um, definitely some graphical glitches, I think, you know. Uh, if you're in a storyboard and you're zooming in and out, you know, like the pinch zoom and the yep. uh, spread yeah. to zoom in and out, especially in zooming out, like I'm, I'm focused in on a single view controller and then I want to like squeeze to zoom out. Um, mm-hmm. It goes ka-chunk, ka-chunk, ka-chunk. And I could literally sit there <laughs> yep. and and spend like 15 seconds watching it go from 100% to, you know, 50%, whatever the maximum zoom out is. Um, yeah, you know, and yeah. it's, it's like it's on rails, right? You know, like you... Um, you do the the zoom gesture and it's like, okay, I'm going to go out to maximum zoom or minimum zoom, you know, whatever the term is. I'm going to show you as much as I can. And, and you just have to wait for it to finish and it can take up to 15 seconds. And then sometimes it works yep. fine. Um, but yep. it's certainly not as bad that's as where it Mark started. About. Yeah. That's where it all started for me and, and just has gotten consistently worse. Uh, granted as the size of the storyboard got bigger, uh, it got worse and worse. So it, it seems like that there's some kind of uh, memory leak or something in, in storyboard now. So the the more you do, the the worse it gets. So I'm I'm waiting for six point one point whatever one or whatever, <laughs> <laughs> hoping it comes soon. Well, I've been having trouble with with dialog boxes uh, extending off the bottom of the screen. Like when I when I go to do a a, a new new project or whatever, the the re- 
the button that re return is is just like split right in the middle down the bottom of my screen and often so I have to kind of dive down there and hit it before the docs comes up into place right it's really annoying and I don't I don't know if that that seems to be I'm having that trouble with a couple of other apps in in Yosemite as well so it's hard to say but uh, I'd say overall my my experience with Yosemite is pretty positive um, yeah. But yeah, like you know, this is again more. This is all more symptoms of what we've been talking about for some time now. It just, yep. um, you know, Apple just having software quality issues, and it's it's happening with the build tools. It's happening with the operating system. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's unfortunate. It's making Android Studio look really cool right now. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, the thing I hear from Android developers is that uh, as soon as they open up. Eclipse or whatever it is that they use over there that they yeah, they, they think Xcode looks pretty darn hot. Yeah, you open Eclipse and go off and have lunch, and by the time you get back, maybe it's finished opening. Oh, yeah, okay. I've I've worked with Eclipse and and uh, but I haven't looked at Android Studio, and, and apparently the, the it's much better from what I hear than than Eclipse's. But like I said, I have no opinion other than what I've seen before. Um, uh, okay. So, uh, Jaime, you were going to talk about the uh, uh, security issues, security vulnerabilities that came out? Yeah, so there's a new one out there called Mask Attack. And um, mm -hmm. depending which sources you're looking at, this could sound like it's uh, a bigger deal than it really is. Although I think there probably is something that I think Apple could do that could make this uh, less likely to be an issue, even for the the handful of folks, well, subset of folks, I should say, who would be impacted. So the basic idea is that somebody can take a uh, enterprise program account, um, which will give them access to, you know, whatever devices are associated with that provisioning. Um, or if they have your uh, UDID, like you signed up for test flight or whatnot, um, hmm. it's entirely possible that somebody could make a uh, an app that looks similar to an existing app and in fact would replace the existing app based on the, the bundle ID. So the example mm -hmm. given in, in an article here from, from iMore, who actually has a really good write-up uh, by, I think that's Nick Arnott uh, talking about this. So you could take, you know, like an app, bundle it and make it look like it's Gmail, but send somebody a link and an old school email, you know, malicious way say, oh, look, check out this new Flappy Bird game. <laughs> and they go to download it, and it's like, oh, what happened? Oh, I don't know. Let me go into Gmail. And now you've got this fake Gmail app that's stealing all your information and whatnot, right? Um, but there is a couple key things. So notice here that I mentioned the, the fact that it's you know probably a developer uh, enterprise program account, which is a, a special kind of account that lets you do more exotic things than your typical account. They have to get you to download the app. And they also have to get you to somehow not notice the fact that this app says, hey, what you're trying to install is from an untrusted source. And, and I do know there is a uh, you know, security pop-up fatigue that I think people should be mindful of. But there's a whole sequence of steps that have to happen here. Um, and, and as you know, it seems like it's the sort of thing, as they mentioned here, that could be done more for really targeted attacks. Like if you're trying to attack the, you know, the CEO of some major corporation or, sure, you know, whatnot, it's not going to happen just because you happen to click on the wrong link uh, in an email yeah. if, if you're a typical uh, iOS user. Um, but I do think it's a little bit weird that Apple doesn't restrict um, bundle IDs and having those associated with um, 
particular account. So my understanding is that there is some sort of legitimate case in which um, corporations are using uh, this technique to overwrite sort of my, you know standard apps, but I'm not privy to what those cases are. Uh, but in any case, if, if Apple discovers that you're doing this sort of malicious thing, the nice thing is they can pull the permissions for that account, and then that account can never be used again to to do its deed. Yeah, I had heard once from an Apple, an inside Apple, do a guy like, but it was from a systems engineer. It wasn't necessarily from a developer. That um, applications do check um, back with Apple on a timely, on a frequent basis, and. If you were, and it requires going to the internet to basically you know, check this, the signing of an app, and it may be a couple of months before uh, it gets discovered. In terms of from what this person was telling me, that you know it, it it does it is supposed to check with the servers to see if it's able to run. I think enterprise apps are different. You know, I know from having built them that you know when you first install them, it does ask you, like you said, a pop up says, "Do you trust this developer?" and you say yes or whatever. And in fact, we have that now in iOS eight with beta testing. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I see what you mean. And, and I've had, you know, back in the IT support days where, you know, what we used to call spear phishing, where you target, you know, a senior executive in the company and says, oh, you know, get an email from the IT department saying, here, you need to install this, this patch. And they go ahead and double click on something. And next thing you know, their PC has been uh, taken over by some malware, you know, um, <clears throat> anyway, but that's, uh. It, I, I, it's, I, it's, it's an interesting, an interesting way of attacking, but I, I kind of, I see a lot of different places where it could fall down, like uh, in terms of like the bundle ID, and and um, I was pretty sure that that apps are signed with certificates, aren't they, when they're distributed? Of course, they are signed. That that is yep. the case. Yep. And that's the the signing is what actually helps. Um, in this case, it doesn't help people, you know, prevent people from ending up in this situation, but it make sure that it does not continue, right? So uh, right. It, it prevents the spread in, in any case. And hmm. I, I think sort of the, the key takeaway here, right, is um, one, you're, you're not in any imminent danger, especially if you are getting your apps from the iOS app store. And mm -hmm. if you are getting them from alternative methods, um, hopefully you're paying real close attention as to who that provider is. So don't just go onto some forum and go willy-nilly signing up for stuff because that's that's bad juju. Well, yeah, and, I, and I, I, you mean, are you talking about the jailbreaking community or whatever, right? Well, in this case, this isn't even jailbreaking sort of thing. That That's a total sort of can of worms. But, yeah. um, you know, if, if you know some develop, some random developer you've never heard of is like, oh, man, come join my, my game's beta program. It's like, well... <laughs> Uh, let's think about that. <laughs> let's be yeah, careful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I did hear something too that that there was uh, some exploits happening with users in China recently too, wasn't there? Like, uh, wasn't there some issues with the phones or something like that that I heard about last week? Anybody else hear anything like that? No, I did, but I don't recall the specific details that I'll probably get wrong. But it was um, using um, some alternative. To the app store that ex exists over in China. So, oh, okay. So right. you're already kind of going down a, a bad path. Um, sure. I mean, I understand there's things like Gatekeeper and whatnot that uh, sort of make this better. Um, but it's kind of a very similar thing where if you if you stick to the Mac App Store and only getting apps from there or from alternative sources that you trust, 
uh, mm -hmm. you know, really well-known, reputable sources, then you should be okay most of the time. Uh, if you're going down the route of uh, the seedy underbelly of the internet, um, your mileage may vary. So I'm really worried because Aaron's been really quiet for the last little while. <laughs> Listening, man. That's all. He's up to something. <laughs> okay, well, I, I think that uh, we're just about to, at the end of the podcast, so we'll, go, we'll do what we usually do and go around the table and see if anybody has any picks. And uh, Jaime, do you have any picks this week? I do. And this one's, um, it's another app called uh, Post-It Plus by uh, 3M. Mm -hmm. You might know them because they make the aforementioned oh, yeah. Post-Its. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's kind of a nifty little tool. I wouldn't say it's like the most powerful tool, but if you're the kind of person who works in an environment where people use post-it notes to try to uh, set up organizations of things, and I, in my case, I've seen it used for brainstorming sessions, and it can be kind of a hassle to just sort of take a picture of these things and then, okay, well, what am I going to do? How am I going to categorize them? Like if you hadn't already done that physically... And this is pretty neat because if you've got a high quality camera, like say like the iPhone six plus has, you can take a picture of this whole wall of, of post-it notes and it does the, the edge detection to figure out that these are individual notes and allows you to do things like move them around manually and say, well, you know, all these red ones should probably be together because that kind of aligns with the green ones or, uh, you know what, this, this set of notes is just kind of all uncoordinated and I'm not really sure what's going on. And you can choose a couple of different sorting options. And it's it's actually kind of cool what they do. Um, I would like to see them do OCR. That's that's definitely one thing it does not do. But if you just need something right. for sort of a quick reference for what did we do during this brainstorming session and, and how can I make this better organized, it's a nifty little tool. I recommend it. Hmm. Hmm. Cool. My pick this week is uh, it has to do with if you if you don't have you know seven million dollars to buy an Apple One computer, um, there's a post on I read an article on nine to five Mac dot com about uh, a gentleman who's putting out some videos that allow you to um, create or build your own eight bit Apple One computer. Um, you know basically because all the parts were initially off the shelf. This uh, this guy's posting. Um, a series of videos for those of you who want to, you know, dig out the old soldering iron and, and uh, you know, start wiring up your own your own Apple Apple One computer. So um, the name of the guy is Ben Heck, and he runs a, a, a podcast or an online video called The Ben Heck Show, and they do all kinds of technologies like this, and it's, it's kind of cool. He's got this uh, plan for building um, an Apple One computer. That's my pick. All right. Well, I guess that's it for the week. Um, Aaron, where can people locate you on the interwebs? I'm on Twitter at Aaron Vay. And uh, if you are looking for a freelance iOS developer to work remotely for you, I am currently looking for work as well. All righty. And Jaime, where can people find you? At Dev with the Hair and Dev with the Hair .com. And Mark, where can people come up find you? Mark R at smapsoft.com. And once again, my name is Timitra. I'm at, at Timitra on Twitter, at T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A. I'm also can be found at uh, www.it-guy.com. And um, I guess I could throw my shingle out there to say uh, I'd like to have a couple of projects to work on. I've got some on the, on the go, but nothing uh, pending. So if you're looking for developers, you can reach out to myself or you can reach out to Aaron. And so once again for the week, we'll say goodbye. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Bye. -bye. Bye.
If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find show notes and a summary of each episode. We list links to items that we talk about and links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave us a comment on the website, and if you can, please write a review on iTunes. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also retweet our tweets about the show. Once again, our the podcast Twitter account is at mtjc underscore podcast. And uh, that's it. Thanks a lot. I'm gonna. Uh, we're just gonna wing it then. Go we're ahead, just wing it, it, wing it. We should okay. do more winging. Right, here it goes. <laughs> okay. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.